0: Hi, I'm Sage. I'm here with Adam, and for this, our fourteenth question, how do you become a better player?
1: Fourteen is a lot of questions.
0: Fourteen is a lot of questions. Uh,
1: we're we're getting close to, I think, the end of our first season. So. Yeah, we're 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 hitting periods where I have to start legitimately moving, and you have to start doing actual family stuff, and then we will hopefully come back and do more talking.
0: Yes, and during those, we we may surprise people with some. Uh, one off episodes, but our, our plan currently is that you will get one more episode from us fifteen and that will uh, end season one and then we will be back with season two at some point in the future
1: definitely uh,
0: so being a better player um, this this kind of ties into something we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with uh, respecting being a good player as being as important a thing as being a good GM
1: yeah because there's a lot of discussion and I mean even literature if we want to go crazy about how to be the best possible GM and how to host players when they come over to your house. and Robin's you know, Laws and, yeah, all these... All this stuff, but, you know, it, not too much about guest etiquette or guest uh, ability, I guess, player ability.
0: Well, in this, uh, when I originally started to pitch this uh, idea to Adam, I was thinking about player skill and the way that it gets um, used in kind of OSR discussion of, like, the, you have a game where uh, the... The player's ability to um, think things through, to to find solutions, to make plans, is at least as, if not more important than their character's ability to do oh, those yeah. things. Uh, and that gets used as player skill a lot, and it uh, it gets looked down on certain games like uh, that have maybe not so obvious choices. Um, I'm, I'm actually the opinion that. Uh, something like uh, Apocalypse World while there, the rules are very much in front of you and your character has a lot of things that you know they can do and you know how well they can do them, um, getting into the position to trigger moves is actually a huge player skill that there's nothing in there that just lets you like, oh trigger whatever move you want now, that's your, you you spent a point or whatever. Um, Instead you have to be able to maneuver your character into the places like if you're good at going aggro you've got to get to a point where you can trigger that move, and
1: nothing is going to just make that happen for you except maybe the fictional situation. And this is the best kind of design, right? The design where the player who is, you know, min-maxing maxing is the pejorative term for it. The player who is trying to strategically do the best within this system ends up also doing things that are really interesting for everybody else at the table. Um, Because I think that's one of the biggest things about player skill or GM skill or any of this stuff when playing a role-playing game is people really want everybody else to be doing something that's interesting for the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the parts where, you know, min-max becomes this horrible thing is where you're sitting over at your end of the table... And for half the game, you're not talking to anybody. And for the other half of the game, you go, no, I've beaten this game. Mm-hmm. Here, let me show you my exploit, which doesn't really add to the situation. It's interesting because you went to min-maxing there, which um,
0: min-maxing as far as kind of a, a rules uh, rules mastery is a different... I think of that as a different player skill than um, the, the SR meaning of player skill. Because one of them is... Oh, man, I hate... Now that I've said OSR, and I'm going to try and interpret something, everybody's going to tell me that I have it wrong, uh, which, which
1: may be the case. But at well, least let they... me let me clarify what I mean okay. then, and hopefully I can save you. Um, so when I talk about system mastery, I think that system mastery is heavily tied to the system. Um, I mean, it's right there in the, in the words, right? Uh, and the right system, when you master it, makes the game play smoothly and nicely and makes everything interesting Mm -hmm. and a differently designed system when you master it is no longer interesting Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean like non-RPG example tic-tac-toe when you master tic-tac-toe the game becomes not interesting anymore Um, but Apocalypse World when you master it you start thinking about fictional positioning and how do I get there in the story and that that's what system mastery means in Apocalypse World is how mm-hmm. do I get there and that makes the game more interesting to the other players the thing that I was
0: the, the divide that I see that I tend to um, break those two things on like system mastery is about Knowledge and usage of the procedures of play, the the rules, the things that are written that aren't necessarily directly in the fictional world the characters inhabit. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of kind of the OSR player skill or the the dungeon crawling player skill. Oh man, I'm just gonna get slumped on this one. (laughs) It is um, how well you interact with the fictional world. Uh, it, It has less to do with knowing that like oh if I. Uh, take this spell and this spell, the combo in this way, because one of them says that its duration is
1: this, and the other one says its duration is this. Um, right, but but I I would argue that those two things are not as separate as you think. Yeah, um, they're only as separate because of the kind of scaffolding of rules that some games have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Burning Wheel has a similar thing where where there's this gigantic web of rules. And understanding how they all fit together is, is you know, a very difficult thing to actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are pieces in there where it's like, well, this thing connects to there. And if you want to go through your life paths and have this super amazing end goal, well, you have to, you know, you have to master that life path system, or at least get relatively good at it. Um, and then, you know, the D20 systems in general and GURPS in general, they are built on this gigantic lattice of rule systems that the better you are at the rule systems, the better you interact, you you engage with the rules. Um, but there's, you know, there's the rest of that. The, the system includes, you know, kind of this stuff that we do at the table and the stuff that we do in kind of our, our talking, our fiction, our narrative, all these horrible words. Mm-hmm. Uh you know and that's that's still part of the system like hopefully yes. your your system mastery is not just i know how to use this laser with this energy rifle thing to cheat it's i can use that to assassinate the governor of this planet or whatever the the two can certainly go along
0: the i guess some of the things that i think of um in kind of more of the min maxing realm is uh somebody looked at as a first level wizard in uh, D20 3rd edition, I believe, maybe 3.5. The the, point five. Um, the way that I heard it, at least, is you look at the price of a spell book, which you get for free you're a wizard, you have to have one. Right. Um, but you ask the GM if you can sell that before play for more money. You're just never going to cast spells, you don't care. Um, you put all of your skill points in uh, cross-class handle animal All of your stats and charisma, and spend all of your money on hunting dogs. 'Cause you now have a comparatively large pool of money and uh, just enough skill points and hopefully the stats to make that work. And then you go into the dungeon and make your dogs kill things for you, as opposed to ever casting a spell or being a wizard.
1: So I um, totally ignore that end of system mastery because no but sane TM. Would... Like that that's the I guess because of the but it's irrelevant. sense of it. Okay. It's it's irrelevant. Like, yes, uh, there are pieces of these systems that, when you look at them from a purely mathematical perspective, uh, are plain busted. Mm-hmm. But since no DM, no sane DM would let that continue for multiple sessions of play, sure. like maybe you'd be like, "That's hilarious. Let's see how it works in the crawl tonight, and then we'll play a real character." Um, because it's because it's irrelevant, I'm, I'm ignoring that it. That is the me. most
0: extreme example. There, sure. There's smaller examples of the uh, you. You know that system wise uh if you have a level in fighter to go with wizard just to get the plus two fort from first level or whatever like th- there 's mastery in uh because of how certain rules in that game work that doesn 't relate much to the fictional world like right. you 've just modified some numbers on a page that will interact with other numbers to eventually create some fiction but uh And and Burning Wheel has a few corners where you can kind of do that. Apocalypse World has very few, um, for the most part. And that's a design thing. Yeah, uh, I think it's a design
1: problem more than a player
0: problem. It's more than a player problem, but I I guess I feel like those are... There's definitely two types of optimization there. Thinking more within the world of the characters and more within the uh, procedures of play that are written down. And both of those can be optimized in a a well-designed... in a lot of the games that I like, mm-hmm. those two things mesh very carefully, uh, and so those become very similar. Like in Burning Wheel, if you're trying to create a good starting character, you need to think about life paths, and life paths say things about your character and give you traits that say things, more things about your character, right. and all that stuff interacts with the fiction, and it's wonderful, um, but in D20, the you took that level of fighter solely because you realized that you wanted a higher save and it doesn't really say anything about your character. Right. Yeah. Do you think that uh, being a better player can be a system agnostic discussion? I don't think so. That's actually... I really struggled with coming up with things um, other than kind of... One of my my venues for being a better player is uh, kind of the guest discussion, the very general, like, Mm -hmm. how to... Be a player at the table, but most things that I could come up with, uh, like the the dungeon crawling type of skill, the the really reading the fiction and looking for details and thinking through that is this. You have to practice that a lot. It's a very, uh, especially for dungeon crawling games. Like that's even a separate thing from uh, if you were doing like a politics uh, game, a politics game or a kind of a um, Brownstein like weird mixture of politics and war game and officiated war game and all this stuff. Um, but no, I think
1: that a lot of it is per game, or at least per swath of games. All right. What do you think? I think I think there are things... Um, there's a split between system mastery and kind of table etiquette, uh, and I think that system mastery discussion is definitely system... Like the system is very important when you talk about mastery of particular things, um, but I think there's there's some table etiquette things. You know, I mean, uh, everybody that's listened to one or more episodes of this knows that I'm heavy into kind of the improv side of RPGs um, because I do think it's a really useful model uh, when you're when you're at the table, and I think that there's a bunch of stuff from improv that's kind of you know improv etiquette that. As players, following that will make the table much more of an interesting place to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of those are going to be system agnostic to the point where the system allows you to do them. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, uh, one of mine is that you add to the discussion. So there's a bunch of books uh, about, you know, uh, for the DM, about how to deal with that player that just wants to sit in the corner and not say anything. And then it comes up you know it's their turn in combat and they do something and then they just kind of retreat um and you know this is a personality type this is a way of playing the game um but it's you know i i don't mind you know everybody else is 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 being very kind to allow somebody to just kind of sit Mm -hmm. uh and I would, would I guess I would rather have that player as a spectator as opposed to a player. Yeah. Because it's difficult on the GM side to run a six-player game versus a four-player game. And more difficult when two of those players aren't contributing anything. But in the games where, uh, like the full hardcore dungeon crawl games, where the players are really not allowed to put too much input into... What the dungeon is—that's mm-hmm. um, a much more difficult thing to do on the player side. Yes.
0: So my first point kind of goes in the same thing. So I'll go ahead and bring it in. Um, communicate. Like the one of the biggest things to do as a player is to like be, be upfront with what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is part of why gigantic. I gigantic for for. Being a good player being an important thing because a lot of people are kind of like, "Oh, we've got a great GM. Um, I don't want to like rock the boat like my mine is i'm I'm here as a player they're running the game right um, and when you get into that that mold, it's really easy to kind of sit back and do that kind of more passive thing to um, you don't even have to contribute in way in the way that you're talking about where it You know, in some games, the GM might give you a space to kind of say, like, oh, tell me more about what kinds of monsters you think should be in the swamp or whatever. Like, that. some games will run like that. Um, But even in a game where your character's authority really ends at your skin, you can contribute
1: to the conversation. um, Just about what you want and what you want out of the game and what you want out of this character, and like, I built this character, and he's gonna pretend to be a dragon the entire time, mm-hmm. can can you guys kind of help me be the dragon for that time, and, you know, make fun of me behind my back, because I think that would be hilarious And that's a really good example because the, uh to, it's better to
0: over-communicate there, there's this thing that, um, a lot of, I don't know how it infected gaming, but this, like, I made my character with this secret that none of the other players are going to know. <laughs> and it's going to be awesome. Oh, I hate that. I, I well, I... I, I saw this happen on Will Wheaton's new tabletop show, like the in the oh, character no. generation. Oh no! It, the thing is, he's really great and he's making it work. But I was just kind of like, how much cooler would this be if instead of him, he does kind of like they they all talk about their characters a little bit, and then he does a one on one with each of them about like, what is your secret, and they kind of whisper it, even though. They're in a room where they could easily just throw. It. Anyway, no, I think um, they're
1: not. I think they're like off to one side of the stage because they do that during uh, tabletop episodes as I, well. I, I I know why they're doing it. It just cracks it's, me up that like they they have complete control of
0: that room. Like, right, they, 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 they could, could make just, everybody go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it, it cracks me up a little bit that they decided to do the the stage left whisper thing. It's but such a waste. I I just kept on thinking like. If you guys all told uh, each other your secrets right now, all of you would be like, oh,
1: this is going to be cool, and then, like, you you can kind of poke at each other's secrets. Right! Um, That's, like, there's a whole, so much, we've talked about this kind of stuff before, this massive amount of narrative theory around how knowing, knowing those secrets uh, kind of outside... Of the play fiction, mm-hmm. knowing those things makes the experience inside way better. Yeah, um, because you know you know this person uh, hates kobolds with a passion because they burned his village down or whatever. But it never, you know, there's no reason for it to come up in play. Um, but everybody else knows it, and so you know they can be like, oh yeah, we're not going to kill those kobolds because you know. Uh, we're, we, you know, we want to leave that settlement for, for later. And then you can just, you know, shove this person into conflict with it. Yep. And it's just so much more interesting. And that's definitely,
0: like, there's a stylistic thing there. I think there's room for for secrets. Like, there are rooms for the games where uh, you, you have that player's secret that really is a secret. But if... If secrets are such a big thing, like if you have a few of those, if you know, there's the one person who really wants to have the character of the secret past, like, okay, sure, go for it. They don't have to tell everybody. But ninety percent of the time, like when people do the, you know, I wanna have a a secret, they're part of the fun of secrets is people wanting to know them and like the the revealing of information and stuff. So you you have to throw some of it out there and let everybody in on it um, and the one of the things that I brought up here in my notes is um, a way to communicate a, a lot of games that uh, may be great for new players help you communicate things that you might be interested in. Um, so like Burning Wheel, you write beliefs for your characters uh, that are things that your, your character believes are going to drive play, but by writing those and telling them to the other players, you effectively said, like, this is a thing that I want to do in this game. Um, fate with Aspects, you kind of, again, right. say that, like, this is... Uh, it, the kind of game I want to play. The kind of game I want to play. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been called flagging um, in a lot of discussion, where you're, you're flagging this as, like, this is a thing that I want.
1: Um, well, so, you know, I mean, you can go all the way back to, to you know, talking about straight D and D skills and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody took the writing skill, um, you know, put points into that thing, or yep. somebody, somebody as a thief is is carrying some weird weapon, and it's like this person is obviously wants to use this thing. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. There's, there's
0: no way to not do it. Kind of like when right. you make a character, every choice you make is reflecting things that you want to see happen in the game in some way. There's just ways to make it more obvious. Right. Um, and I think there's actually a downside to making it too obvious. There's some games that you, you kind of flat out write, like, this is a thing that we're going to do. And to me, that actually undermines it again. Like, you've now gone a little past it and kind of out the other
1: end. Um, I don't know. I think I think that you are at much more danger under-specifying than over Sure. Uh, almost all the time. Uh, just, just because so many people have tend to not say anything, tend to assume that it's obvious, or to go into the game with the idea that everybody else thinks the same thing that they're thinking. Like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, we're going to go into this game and have this huge political discussion and it's going to be awesome. Whereas the other person on the other side of the table is like, we're going to go into this game and I'm going to have two daggers and just stab everybody and it's going to be great. And then the third person is like, we're going to explore the nature of magic in this game it's going to be great. And then when those three people get together... And play the game, uh, they're not going to like what the other people are doing mm-hmm. in the game, and the GM's going to have no idea. Yeah. So yeah,
0: the the communication, both of our kind of first ones of like contributing, saying things, um, the it's just so
1: fundamental. Uh, and you know, my second one is actually listening. Oh, so, that's interesting. Um, because which is a huge like it. It goes straight through communication. Like, we're talking about adding to the discussion and communicating and then listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's, it's one thing to tell everybody all this stuff. Um, but it's another thing to also listen to everybody else's stuff. Um, not just the GM. Because I think that something we get kind of caught up in is... Ah, not everybody. Um, is, is you listen to the GM for the details that are, you know, legitimate details. You know, the GM said it. It must be true. These are the mm-hmm. things that are happening. Um, but also listening to other people's stuff that they're doing. Yep. Um, there are games where this is much, much easier to kind of get the habit, where you're listening to other people's stuff so that you can give them some kind of in-game bonus or you know mess with the tactical situation or, or whatever. Um, but even when that's not the case, just listening to what people are are doing and thinking and saying. Uh, for the purposes of figuring out what kind of game they really want to play Mm -hmm. uh, and what kind of, you know, does that mesh with the kind of game you want to play? Can you be more open about what those differences are, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, the listening, I actually had a very similar one as well. Um, Invest is kind of how I phrased it. Like there's, uh, at least for me, there's a bit of a kind of mental hill to get over where, especially at the beginning of the game, it can be really easy to just, kind of like, you know, the last game we played had a lot more going on, but that's because we played it forever long or whatever. Um, Just really bringing yourself to be present and, like, here is what is happening in the game, not just for your character, but for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we we tend to do a lot of... um, Kind of the characters are in twos and threes, and uh, one person might not be involved at any given moment. Um, And one thing that I've found is actually in some way uh, creating an artifact of play, either keeping notes of what happened in the game or even kind of live-tweeting funny stuff. Like, I'm, I'm not one of those no-cell-phone people. Like, it's be-hearing... Or, or it's disrespectful. Um, I like... I, I think that there's space for people to engage in a different way, but keeping yourself in... The game, uh, like listening to the game and commenting on the game, this is something that um, I'm surprised I don't see more of in other games that I've I've played with other groups of people. uh, Is kind of keeping a running commentary, like even if it's somebody else's thing, I can totally be like head palming at uh, how horrible it is that they decided to go with the demon prince instead of the.
1: The, the farmer or whatever or and that other player can communicate right back with that right because they know how horrible it is mm-hmm. and they think it's awesome
0: yep and, and that's the thing it's the face palming and kind of the like the way that you you see Walter White make another horrible decision and like you know that it's horrible and you're like oh no but that's why you're watching you're right. you're watching because it is horrible yeah, totally. um, so that this I'm really interested to see how this looks in the final text, but in Blades in the Dark, uh, John has, at least at some points, tried to talk about the... um, I think he was calling them the threads of the conversation, because uh, Apocalypse World brings up this idea that a game is a conversation, which is a really accurate way to put it, and it reminds you of some of those good player things of you know letting other people talk, which I don't always let Adam do, and uh, all (laughs) that (laughs) kind (laughs) of stuff. Um, But uh, John points out... uh, the way that we do it at our table is there's often kind of multiple conversations going like there's the things that we actually say that happen in the world. There's commentary on that in kind of our, our personal running, mostly making jokes about it. commentary and there's commentary in kind of the rules sense. Sure. Um, at least those three at all times. And we're kind of moving between which one's more in focus, uh, they're They're all intertwined, like I think that's a good way to call them threads as opposed to parallel conversations or something, but as a player, if you can involve yourself in those in a a, a nice way, it's a conversation, not a monologue I'm like this uh but <laughs> It, it, that makes
1: a huge difference. Yeah. No uh, so I read uh how to make friends and influence people a long time ago. So it's not it's not that you are not letting me talk. So, um, <laughs> I've never read it. I probably shouldn't. Uh no, you probably shouldn't. Um then I'd have to talk way more and it wouldn't be with cool. Uh yeah, it's 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 curious how kind of the art of conversation is so important to these games. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's not just Apocalypse World. Apocalypse World starts from the point of the game is the conversation that kind of builds on that. So do the Traveler little black books, actually, which is interesting. Yeah, the, the, you know, almost every, pretty much every role-playing game is a conversation. Um, You know, whether or not they make it obvious that they are. Uh, and so just you know, kind of being a better conversationalist in general is a good way to go about being a better player. Oh, that was my third one. Well, <laughs> go for it. Go for it.
0: So my third one was the catch-all of being... Uh, we, this is something that I think I kind of talked about a few podcasts back. There's a lot of things that I wish games discussed more that are very practical, direct things in how you talk about the game that can make big differences. Um, sure. So, the, the ones that I jotted down... Um, mm-hmm. Rewinding. This is, like, huge uh, for my group, at least. We'll, we'll, especially when we find that we've gotten to a point where two people understood what was going on differently, we'll say, oh, okay, well, let, let's rewind that back a little bit. And you, as the player, can totally initiate that. You can be like, oh, I I misheard you. I thought you said, like... I thought when you said he was on a low cliff,
1: you meant like 10 feet. It turns out you meant like 30 feet. So what I was going to do makes no sense. Could we go back? Right. Um, well, there's also the type of rewinding where uh, you get to the end of some really complicated sequence of play. Uh, and you think you've got it, but you're going to re-describe that entire sequence as if it's just, you know, kind of a one shot in a mm-hmm. film. Um And as cool as you possibly can, because you've just seen it, you can edit it in your head, and you just kind of go over that. And the people that were slightly paying attention, or the people that were paying attention a lot, but maybe have a different view of it, everybody's just immediately on the same page Mm -hmm. uh, with something like that. And that's
0: Yeah, that kind of encapsulation, uh, especially in a lot of games where kind of the resolution is in the middle of the action because uh, there's a lot there there's also kind of the resolution at the end where like you describe practically the entire scene and then we roll some dice to like see how it turned out for you or something right but in the the really pretty common model of kind of like I say I'm doing this thing and then kind of we we all pause mentally while your character is in the motion of doing that, roll some dice and then get the end of it, it can really help to just then say, oh, okay, so uh what actually happened there is I ran up and ran past him uh and Like, I'm now tottering on the edge of the cliff or whatever because my charge missed and
1: I have fast charge or whatever. Like, you you, you encapsulate it. Right. Well, I mean, even in a game like Fiasco, like, the scene ends and there's a bunch of confusion during the scene because people are just kind of making stuff up and it's hard to to think about the context Mm -hmm. of the situation while you're making stuff up about it. And so going back and saying, okay, you realize this is what happened in that scene. That's insane. Yep. Um... Well and this is the thing, uh inspectors, the confessional scenes that right. are
0: the this is the the thing that I wish Inspectors was a little clearer on saying, um, because it, it's kind of a mystery game, but there's no real like set solution to the mystery. It, it's kind of the, you know, we can all contribute things and we're just we're here mostly for the zany adventure. But to make that become all at all consistent, you have to use the confessional scenes to kind of be like, so I can't believe he re- led us here for what turned out to be, like, a mutant squirrel, but it's a pretty damn Like, you have to recap that all so right. that everybody collapses down all the things that they understand at the moment. Um, let's see. Some of my other ones. Uh, interior monologue. Not in, like, a really actorly way, but exposing, like, the thing that's going inside your character's head.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, my dwarf really hates her
0: type of things, yeah. right? Yeah. especially when that's at odds with your action because mm-hmm. uh, that's so much of what like great actors and stuff that that's why they seem great because you can tell that there's a little gear turning inside their fictional he- their their character's head.
1: So, okay, I've got this this is something that that I feel is a little bit dangerous uh, and that I am not a huge fan of but mm-hmm. I want to kind of get your take. Sure. Um the player who is whose character is being a total jerk. Mm. And then out of game they're like you know, it's just my character. I'm not actually, you know I like you guys, you guys are great. But in game the character's like, I'm gonna take all of your stuff and you're gonna wake up with everything missing and then I'm gonna go tell the bad guy about where we are and So that's more of the commentary track.
0: Like that that's the being involved like so first of all, the actual thing there, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. The the saying like, Oh no, I'm I'm just doing this because of my character guys that's not the, like, explain what's going on in your character's head. Right. That That's the, just kind of having a commentary track that everybody's in on. Um, I think that kind of stuff, it really depends on the game and the group and the person doing it. Because uh, some people definitely do it in different ways and depending on the game. That can yeah. also be
1: very disruptive or very cool. If you all want to be playing the game where that's going on, then that's fine. It's really interesting to see. That's, you know, going back to the uh everybody at the game has a different specific thing that they want to be playing mm-hmm. um and you just kind of uh kind of orbit around those games until you figure out you know the happy medium and it's just a super uh vague process i
0: i think especially with kind of that player the the setting of expectations um for the game can be really important like and and this is another thing you can have a player's skill of like yeah it's definitely. not just the gm showing up and telling you you can be like you know guys we just played like that game of undying where we were all killing each other i really want to play something where we're all kind of on the same side like we don't have to be buddy buddy but let's at least do something where we're not like at each other's throats yeah definitely. and everybody can be on the same page with that or everybody can say like oh no we really just want to always be at each other's throats, in which
1: you case... You'd be like, I'll DM this game.
0: Yeah, the, and it's no longer really a, a game problem in some ways. That's like a social problem, which yeah. unfortunately overlaps a lot with role-playing problems, but that becomes a, oh, my friend... That, that's the more general problem. of My friends don't want to do the same thing that I do. Right. What do we do now? Um,
1: what else is on your list?
0: Uh, let's see. Um, the interior monologue... Log- oh, uh this actually ties into what you were just talking about, character versus player. Um, so pointing out when you know that something's a bad idea but you're doing it anyway. Um, and even just the idea of doing bad things anyway. Like treating your character as uh, it kind of the thing that I've heard authors talk about where like it's a, a person that's become conceptualized enough in your head that they kind of have their own... Their own will their own will mm-hmm. um, when you bring a character to that kind of level, it becomes and you can't do it easily like it often takes time and everything but when you hit that uh, and you can communicate to others the kind of like, well, you know, my character really cares about uh, the name of his family above all else so sorry guys, but like we we play at my table often the characters end up at least at odds, sometimes not dramatically so, but we do a lot of that kind of like, uh well, my, yeah, my character would do this. Um, which,
1: like you said, can lead to being that guy, but... But if you're playing that game, that's fine. Yeah. Like, I think that's the big part there. Um, my number one is is keep it obvious. Yes. Uh, and I think that draws directly on that. Um, one of the things that occasionally happens is you get this super complex character you know, idea, Mm -hmm. um, which makes it very difficult to think about what your character would do. But it also makes it very difficult for everybody else to understand who in the world this person is. Um, But having just a super straightforward concept and then just kind of exploring that concept in, you know, you can start out and just the obvious thing may be, well, this person doesn't want to die, so she's going to take out this person that's trying to kill her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving slowly towards understanding, you know, their place in the world and, and where they came from and all this kind of stuff. But where every individual step is just this super obvious. Yep. Um, and all you need is this little tiny concept uh, and go always with, you know, whatever's the most straightforward, obvious thing. Because the funny thing about people is that what's obvious to one person is not what's obvious to I was to other waiting
0: people. to jump in with that. Uh, oh, yeah. that. That's the hugest thing to remember. And this even goes to GMing. Like, you... You don't have to come up with something crazy and weird, because what to you is the most obvious
1: thing to somebody else is going to be like, oh, I never would have thought of that. Yeah, it's enormous. And that's the great thing about being a player in these games, right? Um, You know, we're talking mainly about games where, as a player, you are controlling one character uh, through a series of events. Um, and everybody else is controlling different characters through a series of events, and you are thinking a ton about your one character and their relationship mm-hmm. to everybody else at the table. Um, but n- nobody else is thinking as hard about your character as you are. Yep. And so your obvious things for your character are not things that everybody else has been thinking about. Um, you know, I've uh, not to go into talk about my character mode, but uh, oh, please do. Uh, well. So I had a character in a 4E game where who was, uh, in, in that game they have like, uh, what is it, like dragon something. Dragonborn? Uh, isn't that uh, Skyrim? No, I'm pretty sure that's... Well, whatever the dragonish humanoid character was in, in 4E, that was this person, uh, and he was a dragon-y sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Um, And he, I told everybody at the beginning of the game, I said, he's a little off in the head, and he thinks he's actually a dragon. So all of his sorcerer stuff, I just took every fire spell I could. Um, And then he wouldn't wear armor, and he wouldn't wield a sword. Like, he was like, well, I'm just going to breath weapon everybody. Um, and everybody else at the table thought that was awesome. And so the the super obvious things for this character were always, oh yeah, he's going to run into combat because he's a dragon and yeah. dragons are invincible and it's going to be awesome. And so he would run into combat and breath weapon and miraculously survive and kill everybody um, because I wasn't an idiot playing for I also took <laughs> you know, hit point addition stuff and whatever. Um, but it didn't, you know. It wasn't this enormous amount of thought about how to build this thing. Mm-hmm. It was super straightforward concept, and then okay, what are the obvious things for this super straightforward concept? Yep. So the the thing, I, I
0: do a lot of the same thing, uh, a straightforward concept. But I've realized more and more over time that a lot of those reflect on me, um, especially I, I've gamed with the same group, uh, with a couple of groups now, one for, oh gosh, I can't even think how long, the other one for, uh, seven, eight years, somewhere around there, and, like, we, we know each other's character types, kind of, yeah. and you can see how that reflects everybody's personality, uh, you know, I'm always the, comes up with crazy plans that, probably aren't good ideas but tends to be just lucky enough to maybe squeak through um, and the great thing about that, about playing the most obvious thing, is that once you start to be like, oh I feel like I'm stuck in this, then you can just play the most obvious thing opposite that like, right. You, I'm usually the talkative, uh, kind of goes for everything and then I'll be like oh no this time I'm like the the silent bodyguard of one of the other characters who just kind of always has eyes on people uh, like and is always assessing the next threat
1: and is really quick to jump in but otherwise very slow to act Um, the campaign I played about a little while after that I was a psionic monk who had taken a vow of silence Mm -hmm. Uh, so instead of talking to other people he would tell a into yeah. telepathy into them, uh, you know. So this, you know, Super Monkey and Quiet and Anti Crazy. Super Monkey. Uh, super Monkey uh, <laughs> is actually a another character that I should totally play. It'd be great. It, it's part of Superman lore. Beppo the Super Monkey. <laughs> really. Uh, but yeah, like these, you know, trying the. I think I think being obvious um, is is really a silly kind of thing. I, it, it's another. It's another improv. Um, suggestion, um, mm-hmm. because because the obvious thing is often really funny, and the obvious thing people will understand, and the obvious thing won't take you an hour to come up with, right? And so, at this point, I feel like I've got to lodge my slight complaint
0: with the improv theater approach to gaming. Like it, it sometimes feels too far to me, and can set some of almost the wrong expectations like there, there's a lot of overlap in skills that are useful but there's also a lot of differences in practical application and in kind of goals to, it depends on the game there's a, a difference in goals
1: Well, or a difference in uh, how we can contribute to those goals yeah there's a lot of different kinds of goals for yes. RPGs though um, and and I guess when I play a game like this, my primary goal is that at the end of the game, uh, I remember what happened, mm-hmm. and that what happened was really cool, and that other people also remember what happened and that they don't hate me about that. Yeah, um, Those are my primary goals, which improv is, like, right on top of. Sure. Uh, the thing that I think gets me is um,
0: when people come to a game with to depend on the game with a larger expectation of like, it's going to be an improv theater thing than the game actually is. Um, I actually, Oh man, one of the early times I played lady Blackbird, I brought in a whole bunch of stuff that was kind of beyond the, the player's scope of that. I started trying to establish things of like what my character found out from certain information and stuff. I don't know why I was doing it either. That's not usually something I do. Um, but it it felt completely flat, and it it doesn't really work in that game because of how the division of responsibility is split up. But if we would have just been like if there was no jam and we were just improving a scene where I'm snargle or no, I wasn't snargle whoever I was um and saying these things, it would have been fine like it, it would have
1: been within the realm of normal improv stuff well so there's lots of different kinds of improv right Sure. and one of the big kinds of improv is you are given a very specific scene mm-hmm. and you continue on that scene in with very specific confines mm. like and that's really important part of improv is that there are confines it's like uh, okay we're going to play a scene on Star Trek somebody give us a, something that could happen on Star Trek and then everything that happens past them just has to stay within the Star Trek confines, right?
0: Yeah. And I, oh man, I guess part of my complaint is people who aren't who have the impression of improv as kind of the, like, I can just add anything. Like, yeah. We, we're doing a Star Trek scene. Wouldn't it be hilarious if a Viking walked in? Like, isn't that just so awesome and weird? Uh, and but it's not the
1: obvious thing. It's not the obvious thing. And that's, like, so improv principles, right? Say yes and, and do the obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those lead you to just kind of stay within the confines, but then just really, uh, you know, you get to add on everybody's creativity within those confines. Um, And coming up with something that's way outside the box breaks a lot of those rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's weird to think of improv having rules. But if you want to... If you want to do this really fast thing with other people that have to you know immediately respond to what you're doing, you have to be obvious and stay within the confines because they're only thinking about obvious things within the confines yeah and if you as soon as you go Viking, they have to stop for thirty seconds to try and think of okay, where in the world are we and that totally breaks improv mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's it's really interesting thinking about. Uh, improv applied to applied to these games, especially the improv that is generally kind of the public perception of improv. Yeah, I it's think like the public I mean, perception. It's like the public perception of Zen Buddhism, mm-hmm. right? You say something nonsense, and that's Zen Buddhism, mm-hmm. and it's not. Uh, but explaining it is a pain, and so you don't bother. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what I'm getting.
0: That uh, the the public perception, and I think part of it is also improv gets so associated with uh, comedy. Yeah. Uh, often of uh, that some people are very good, but like often of a kind of middling comedy.
1: That it's really hard to do well. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. Um, there are lots of there are improv places in Seattle and, and, and local, uh, and a lot of the groups that do it are are pretty good for mm-hmm. a general. You know, a sense of improv. But it's super, super hard to do. Like, first, being funny. Like, we talked about being funny a couple of episodes ago. And being funny just immediately is hard. Yes. Uh, uh, being funny off the top of your head is super hard. Mm-hmm. Being funny off of the top of your head, um, but being funny with four other people and making sure that it's not just telling jokes. Yeah. is impossible yeah. um, to do consistently. And so the teams that do do it well are just mind-blowingly good.
0: Yeah, it actually, uh, speaking of the improv kind of sticking with normal and the, the public perception of it as kind of the throw in the ridiculous, uh, there's a podcast called Reply All that's about the Internet, and they just did an episode about an Australian teenager who, as a, kind of a time-wasting joke created a Facebook group for a company and the idea was we all role play as if we worked at this company but it has to be like real like the the joke here is that we're doing mundane things and like uh, posting about, like, the the fun activities this weekend are going to be <laughs> awesome. Make sure you bring your families. There'll be sodas and a few alcoholic beverages. Uh, make sure you bring your tickets or whatever. Right. And, like, the, the fact that everybody is doing this very plainly is supposed to be the joke. It makes it absurd, right? It, it makes it a little absurd. And then other people came along and it grew too big. And uh, the thing that really got him was somebody... Uh, Posted about, like, the iguanas have gotten loose in the mail room, and then it escalated from there to, like, people being like, the iguanas have scheduled a meeting, Uh, and it, to me, that's the kind of... It breaks that confines. It it breaks the confines, and that's the thing that uh, I worry too much... When I've told people in the past, when kind of introducing them to gaming, like, oh, it's just, like, improv, like, you you can just kind of make stuff up, they...
1: That's an easy perception to have. Language is a problem, then. Yeah, like like words words mean different things to different people. Yeah, uh, and when you say improv, yeah, I totally see that. Um, which is yeah, I say, say what's obvious. Say what's obvious is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is obvious is not the iguanas have, have started started a, a meeting. meeting. Yeah.
0: Uh, so yeah, that that I think being a player is is being present, contributing, and using some of the, these specific techniques and stuff that you can uh, keep yourself in the game. And yeah, just, it's funny. One of the things that I wrote down is that for some people being a good player, uh, we discussed kind of player skills of Mm. um, being a good guest and uh, being skilled in kind of the fictional world of the game and being skilled with the rules themselves. Um, The one other one that I brought, uh, wrote down that, I've heard brought up is, uh, especially in kind of indie gaming circles, for lack of a better term, is bringing it as a player. You, It's kind of this vague term of, you know, you, you came to play uh, Monster Hearts would be a good example, and you brought just this character who really set everything moving, and it's this very vague term, and it gets used surprisingly consistently. Um,
1: and that, I'm not sure that's a, a skill that's learnable. I think... I think the player skill there is uh, don't play an NPC Mm. Um, don't play somebody that everybody's going to immediately forget Uh, if you would like that experience and you kind of want to be you know, I I know people that don't want to have to interact with this kind of, with the fiction Uh, my wife is one of these people she doesn't Mm want to have to uh, come up with one of these things on the fly, she finds it super stressful uh, and uh, I can understand that but she loves listening, mm-hmm. so you know when we play these games, Sydney'll sit in and, and listen, and you know she thinks that's awesome. Uh, and we're not going to be like, oh, well, you have to play yeah. uh, to participate in the event, right? No way, you know. There's it is totally okay to listen to these kind of things. It's also totally okay to listen and occasionally contribute something if you mm-hmm. feel like contributing. You are not forced to be, you know, a super participant.
0: That's the awesome thing about realizing kind of the idea of the commentary track and the... Oh, yeah. Uh, even if you're playing online, the back channel, or if you're playing on, like, with Adam on Twitch or something, there'll actually be, like, a chat of people watching you and stuff like that. Um, having... That, that opens it up in so many more ways to people who can contribute in a way that they don't feel like they have to play a character just to be there, right. but they can still, you know, join in the commentary with everybody. And uh, the the one thing that I forgot to mention, which is maybe the greatest advice I can offer, is play more games. Um, Oh, yes. It's a practice skill like anything, and play a diversity of games. Uh, There was a PAX dev a few years ago where, I think it was Richard Garfield was telling people to play Monopoly. Uh both because there are the, the rules that everybody ignores that make it a little bit better, but also because you, you need to play things, even things you think you won't like, even things that you will won't like... Uh, you, you just play things. That's how you develop skill yes. in anything is by doing it. Yes. Uh, you, you can listen to this podcast over and over again and all the things we say and memorize them all, but... It might make you worse, actually. It, it, might, it probably will. <laughs> I, I think that's part of what I was trying to get out with the improv thing. I think oh, if you, yeah. you, you focus too much on that... It's a theory-crafting question. So yeah. this,
1: this is an idea from, uh, well, I know about it from Magic the Gathering players, yeah. and the idea that... You sit down and you look at all of these cards that you have and you, you say, oh, this is the perfect combo and I can build the mathematically perfect deck. And you just talk about it for hours and you mm-hmm. talk about it with your friends. But until you sit down and actually play the thing, uh, it could be broken. It could be horrible. It, it could be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you will have no idea until you play it. Theory crafting doesn't help you, right? Yep. Um, and a lot of this thing is, you know playing more and being a player more. And like one of the biggest things that we kind of just harp on this entire conversation is the idea of conversation and just communication mm-hmm. and knowing what the other people at the table are looking for in the game and making sure that everybody else knows what you are looking for in the game so that you're all playing the same thing. And, and, and we... that comes really well from getting used to the other people at the table and getting used to these games and playing the game For what it's trying to be in the first place, right?
0: We've talked in the past about having kind of a decompression, end of session, whatever. I I really dislike the debrief, decompression terms because they sound so like hard. But anyway, like having a ending your night of gaming with a little bit of time for people to just like chat about what happened before people pack up and leave. Mm -hmm. It builds in that so much Uh, because then also sometimes you get that really cool feedback as a player where somebody's like, "Oh yeah, you really like when your character did that thing. We all thought that was awesome." Right. And that helps you that helps kind of build on that repertoire. Right. So yeah, play games. If I had to sum up our entire set of advice, play, play more games. Play more
1: games. Play more games with us, please. Yes. Uh, because that's awesome. Yeah, if you will be at Gen Con, you'll be able to find me there, uh, uh, or will have found him there. I can't. I
0: don't know exactly. Well, yeah, when who knows this when this one's will going to come out? Somebody's going to be listening to this and be like, "Oh no,
1: he was there and I missed it." No, not really. <laughs> think that. Yeah, it's it's a crazy time. Yeah, definitely play more games. That's so the best way to go. Yep. Okay. So uh,
0: play more games. Practice your some of the little skills you can do. Contribute. Listen. Communicate. Uh, communicate. Woo. Until next time.